Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Um, Today I'm going to do a little bit of ranting. I haven't seen some stuff in the news that bothers me a little bit. And I'm just going to give vent to some of that. And hopefully I don't offend a whole lot of people and that I do it with a certain amount of grace. And we'll see how well that comes out. First, the good news. President Donald Trump says that researchers are looking into at least two drugs that have been proven to treat the coronavirus. Uh, One of them is a long-time malaria drug. And what the president actually said is, at least we know it's not going to make anybody sick. Proven not to eliminate the drug. It's not a vaccine and it's not a virus killer, but it's something that kind of holds back on the symptoms and takes a little pressure off the hospitals. And the pressures on the hospitals is a very, very big issue. We're going to get into that in a minute. We have heard that Several companies are working on a vaccine. The good news is that there's probably going to one, two, three, four of them come out, but they're not going to be here for another 12 months. And so that's a little bit difficult. And there's a little bit more good news on the financial front. Of course, the financial markets are just in the toilet. And if you're a retired person like me, that makes a difference to you. The Trump administration is trying to cut checks for $1,000 per adult and $500 per child, and they're going to be two rounds of that if this thing goes through. But what I read today was even a little bit better news that the Senate, so they're going to kick the thing up to $1,200 per adult and, I guess, $600 per child. And so I think that that's some pretty good news in, in light of all that's going on here. And now for a little bad news. Two members of Congress have actually tested positive for the virus, as I read the news today. That's bad for those guys, and feel sorry for them, but maybe it's good in a way in that, you know, it's coming a little closer home to government people, and they're the people who make decisions that have something to do with the way that we live our lives. Today, uh, we learned that Italy has passed China for the most deaths from the coronavirus. Uh, They don't have as many people sick, but they certainly have more people who died One of the problems in Italy is that their population is much older than the rest of the world. And China clamped down early on, much like uh, we're being asked to do. And it took Italy a while to do that. And so that's some bad news. New data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show that among the roughly 12% of the people with the cases in the United States, uh, one in five are among people ages 20 to 44. So this idea that it's an old people's disease and if you're young, you don't need to worry about it and don't sweat about it, it's no big deal. Well, it is a very big deal and the people who are young are showing up some serious numbers. We're going to talk about that toward the end of the podcast today. As we're kind of approaching the trajectory for what was going on in Italy, we find a worst case scenario that's projected by USA Today that maybe 210 million Americans will be infected with this disease by December unless something happens to slow it down or to stop it, which would be just wonderful. Under this forecast, 21 million people would need hospitalization and 1.7 million people would die by the end of the year. That's scary. 
especially when you're my age and you're in that group of people who are a little bit more, you know, in trouble than the rest of others. As we look at the way the thing's growing, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they were saying that it was going to double every six days. Well, from March the 12th to March the 19th, that's seven days, it went from 1,700 people in the United States with the thing to 10,800 people in the United States with the virus. And so that's a lot faster than doubling every six days. That's growing by about five times as large in seven days. Pretty scary, scary, scary stuff coming down the pipe. Yet there are some solutions. And so let's just talk about those for a couple minutes here. First one would be really nice. That's kill it quick. Only two ways to do that. One is with a vaccine, which is 12 months off. The other is that everybody gets sick at once. There's no hospital capacity, so people are going to be sick at home. Lots of people are going to die. The economy, however, will get over it quickly. House prices are going to drop as more old people die and leave empty houses for younger people to buy. Fewer older people in the hospital systems kind of overweighting the hospitals that we have in this country. But that sounds an awful lot like Germany in the 1930s, and I'm not sure anybody wants to go down that path. There's another approach, and this is the approach really that our country is taking, and that's to flatten the growth curve. Right now it's growing very steeply, and that means a lot of people are going to be sick all at once. The hospitals are going to be invaded and overwhelmed, and nobody thinks that the medical system can actually handle it. And so one way of flattening the curve is not everybody gets sick at once, but everybody gets scared at once. And that's a really good idea. And here's a quote that I got from a guy that I listen to in the financial markets. I read a lot about what's going on. I want to take good care of the money the Lord put in my hands. And so a guy named Ed Yardini, who's really well respected in the financial community, said this, quote, perversely, comma, the more fear, the better, because the best cure for a viral pandemic is a viral panic. Now, what he's really saying is, if we get everybody scared at once and then get it all over, then the financial markets are going to go back to normal. But in truth, there's a little something else to be kind of read into this statement. And that is, if everybody got really scared at once, everybody would stay home and they wouldn't infect other people. And the thing would really slow way down. It wouldn't stop in its tracks, but it would slow way down. And really all that we can do is what we're being asked to do by the government. And that's to reduce the opportunity for this nasty thing to spread. And that means to limit contact with other people, you know, to do social isolation or social distancing. You know, I saw a picture on Facebook of women wearing hoop skirts 150 years ago. That would keep you six feet away from other people. I guess that might do the job, but not sure that's real practical. My wife mentioned something today. Ruby said that Moses in the desert slowed the losses that were taking place because the Amalekites were swooping in on Israel as they're moving through the desert and they're killing the sick people and the old people. And so they put soldiers out there to prevent this thing. Now, did it stop it? No. And how we know that is that that's why Saul was in trouble because he was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites a couple centuries later because of the damage that they did to Israel. But certainly Moses was able to slow the losses, flatten the curve. And that's what we're trying to do here is to flatten the curve in terms of this illness taking people out and destroying lives. As we get into this, I promised you a rant and a rant you're going to get. There's some dumb stories. And the first one starts in Indonesia. Uh, You can kind of tell I'm sort of a news freak. There was a a big rally and it's well-purposed. I mean, really cool thing. 10,000 Christians and Muslims got together 
to kind of have a big old love festival and, you know, get over some of the hatred, some of the whatever goes on in the world that has, you know, sponsored terror and caused all these problems and persecution of the church. The government was frustrated, but they weren't able to stop the rally. So 10,000 people got together and I'm pretty sure there was some handshaking and hugging and maybe kissing on both cheeks that went on at that event. Though they didn't stop that event, the government did intervene. Actually, they sent the army to a follow-on event where 8,600 Muslims got together, and they actually shut that sucker down, and they tested everybody that was there, and they found one man who was sick. Now, stop and think about this just a little bit. 8,600 people, only one guy sick, no big deal, yeah? But how many people did he infect before they found him? And if he had maybe caught it at the rally the week before with the 10,000 Christians and Muslims together, how many of those people went homesick? And, you know, nobody's got any idea about that. That's bad. That's dumb. And then I read this week in the news about a guy in Louisiana who's holding church, big church. His deal is that, you know, this is the government persecuting the church and we're going to obey the Lord and we're going to meet anyway. And what we're doing is we're passing out, quote, anointed handkerchiefs with healing virtues. And I'm here to say that an anointed handkerchief with healing virtues and $4 will buy you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Let's get serious, people. And of course, then there's the pastor in Ohio who says, we're following the command of Jesus, choosing not to engage in fear. Instead, we choose to worship, to give time, attention, and gratitude back to God. Well, I got news for him. My church chose to worship to give time, attention, and gratitude back to God last week. We all did it on Facebook Live, and it worked really, really well. And we're going to get together in small groups this week. We're doing it through Zoom because uh, we're not even going to meet face-to-face with our small group with less than 10 people because we don't want to take the chance of spreading this thing any further. And so I have a question for that guy in Ohio. Do you really have to worship in a large crowd or in a big building? And are those persecuted believers in Muslim countries or all those underground churches in China simply doing the wrong thing? Are they somehow dishonoring Jesus by meeting privately and secretly in small groups? I mean, get serious. Told you it was a rant. So what in the world is going on? And when I say the world, I mean it kind of in the biblical sense here. What's the world doing in response to this thing? Well, we all know that the NBA has canceled their season, as did the NCAA with March Madness. So there goes basketball. Many movie theaters across the nation are closing for the duration. I'm a member of the YMCA, and I called them. I kind of got to jump on them and told them to suspend my membership. And they all acted shocked when I did that. Four days later, they came out with a bulletin that says, we're closing down for the duration of this thing. We want to protect our people. McDonald's, as you probably know, is going to drive through and delivery only as are lots of fast food restaurants in the country. And yes, it's an economic hardship. Yes, it's going to cause difficulty. But, you know, 1.7 million people dying of this thing is going to cause problems too. Simon Property Group, you know, I invest in this company. They're the largest owner of shopping malls in the nation. They're closing all their malls, all their retail operations. This includes 209 U.S. properties in 38 states. And by the way, these guys are high-end retailers. They, they service the, the rich and wealthy as well as the poor. Get this, Simon is worth $17 billion. They're shutting down because they believe that your health and mine is more important than the next dollar that they make. So 
The White House is asking that people not meet in groups larger than 10. Some municipalities, it's 50. Other places, it's 40. I actually saw a place where it's still 250 people. San Diego, where I live, has made it a law that not more than 10 people can meet together. But I actually think that's not going far enough because you get 10 people in a room and one of them's sick. Well, guess what happens? And then they go home and there's people there and then they go someplace else and there's people there. The really only way to flatten the curve on this thing is to take it seriously and and cut back. You know, we're told that we're supposed to be salt in the earth and that the salt is useless if it's not salty. But does salty really mean standing up to your government? You know, there's time for that. I mean, certainly Peter and John, when they were, you know, given the decision, said, we're going to obey God, not men. But, I mean, what does it mean to obey God, not men? Is 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 standing up and saying, we're going to have a public meeting more important than what the Bible says in Romans 12 about submitting to our government? And what about praying for leaders? I was really frustrated last week. I seldom get on social media other than to blow smoke and advertise the blog, the podcast, and stuff that I'm doing, and actually kind of feel a little guilty about that. So last week, Sunday, I spent most of the day just on Facebook, on, you know, you name it, I was there, echoing silent about Trump's call for a national day of prayer. To me, it was sickening. You know, we all went to prayer after 9-11. We all went to prayer when Jimmy Carter called us to prayer. We all went to prayer when Ronald Reagan called us to prayer. I think we all went to prayer under Bill Clinton. This is not a political deal. This is that the church would seek God in the middle of a national crisis. And our president asked us to do this thing. And I didn't hear much on social media other than people crowing about either that they were meeting electronically, which is really cool, or bragging that they weren't and that they thought that they were salt in the earth. That's a problem for me. I just read today that Craig Rochelle is self-isolating after exposure to the thing. You know, he can still preach from home. Um, electronics does that. The question is, are Craig Rochelle and Life Church not salty? First Baptist of Dallas held services last week in clusters. I read the article. It made a big deal about we're obeying the law and, and yet we're meeting together and we're going to do it in small groups because at that time the law for them was 250 people and we're going with the program here. But they have decided to go completely online from this week on throughout this thing. Again, the question, is First Baptist not salt in the earth? What about the rest of us? Because I think that salty means that we make a difference in our world, that we shape our culture. And you know what? You've got to be alive to do that. You know, I picked up a little bit of wisdom and some of the stuff that was being said to millennials this week. You know, it's kind of a, a everybody's little hobby horse if you're old to pick on millennials. And um, so the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a new study stating that 38% of the patients being hospitalized in the country are between 20 and 54 years old. That came out in the New York Times. And about 20% of those patients who are being hospitalized, including those in intensive care, were between ages 20 and 44. So what it's saying is, if you're a millennial, you're not exempt. You're going to get sick, and some of you are going to get really sick. And you know what? The same goes for Christians. If you're a Christ follower and you get sick, you've got a real good chance of getting really sick. Sure, some people show no symptoms. Other people show mild symptoms. But some people are going to die, and it's not all old people dying. Dr. Fossey, who's on the president's team talking about this, and he's the guy that you see in the news a lot. He speaks really well. I saw 
actually a deal on TV between with him and his boss being grilled by Congress and um, his boss didn't do such a hot job he did and he's kind of emerged as the government spokesperson for this thing and he's he writes to younger people and he says you might inadvertently even though you feel that you're invulnerable even if you're doing very well you have to realize you're a very important part of our national effort to contain the outbreak and of course that's something said to younger people but again i'm going to say that it goes for the church as well and then i'm going to add this millennials and gen x if you're listening to me and we're counting on you to take us into the future so first don't kill us with the disease I'm an old guy. My wife's old. She's got lung problems and she's got heart disease. Don't take my wife away from me by being irresponsible. Don't get sick and kill yourselves. Don't get sick. Kill our economy. It's you that's going to carry the economy into the future. You represent the future of this nation. Steward it well. But you know what I just said to millennials, I would say, is even more true of the church. You know, if we're supposed to be salt in the earth and a light in the in the world, then we're going to have to position ourselves to be able to do that. Like, for one thing, let's not together get together and make each other sick and make our elders, like me, die. But for another thing, let's not look bad to the world. Let's not throw out healing hankies and top dog statements about I'm standing up to the government because that's worshiping Jesus. Let's be seen doing something right. You know, I I read really incredible thing about churches in really poor communities. I mean, the the really really bad the gang neighborhoods in our country that are bagging lunch for kids who are out of school because this whole kids out of school thing is a big problem to the country. I mean, what if your parent both parents work or you're a single parent and and you got to work? What do you do with your kids? They're usually in school all day, and we know that in some communities. The only real good food that kids are getting isn't coming from home. I mean, we got kids that both parents are on drugs and whatever, and the schools are, are, are filling a huge need just by feeding these kids. The churches are stepping in and doing this. And what the cool thing was, they're getting good press for it. They're actually being, you know, the, the city set on a hill that can't be hid. And do you think that because they're bagging lunches for kids who are out of school and taking care of people in their community, that other people are going to be drawn to those churches? You darn well better bet. I see people checking on their elderly neighbors and looking after them. You know, I got I live in a neighborhood that's a kind of a Christian ghetto. I moved into a neighborhood that's almost all Iraqis. It turns out they're almost all Iraqi Christians who came right after the, Gulf, the original Gulf War. And so it's a kind of a very interesting thing because I've lived in communities very hostile to the gospel. Well, everybody here believes it, and everybody here really, if they talk to you, they love you. You know, we all kind of use our garage door openers and run in the house every day after work and all that. But if we talk, we, you know, and our our next door neighbors are really, really nice people. Their son is a college student and he just graduated from a junior college. He's getting ready to move on to state university. And man, he just comes in, you know, it's like he's checking in on me. I'm the old guy next door and I've become his responsibility. I think that's really cool. That's the church doing the thing that it's supposed to do. And then, you know, ending this rant, for heaven's sake, if you aren't doing, if you're a holdout or you know somebody who is, then please, please, please utilize Facebook Live. It's the easiest thing. It's free. All you got to do is have a camera. I mean, a phone, not even a camera. And um, bada bing, you're out there. 
And then there's all kind of free video conferencing tools. There's Zoom, Skype has something. There's three or four others. And, you know, for the large group, broadcast it Facebook Live. For the small group, you want to interact, use the video conferencing stuff. In fact, what we're going through actually may be a dry run for days when those things become even more important than they are today. If we're right about microchurch, we're right about that. We really want to get into the nooks and crannies of society. And the only way to do that is little small churches that go to them instead of asking them to come to us. Because statistics are showing us that 70% of them are never coming to us. we got to go to them. Well, maybe going to them not only includes, you know, meeting in a coffee shop or in a bar someplace or in a park or whatever. It, it, it might be that you want to do this thing electronically. My friends in Japan live in a really unique situation when the virus isn't active. And um, churches, you know, there's not very many people who follow the Lord in Japan. In fact, less than 1% of the population go to church. And some people that, well, actually people that I know, family of four, cost them $54 to get to church on trains on Sunday. And their neighbor, who might live like four or five miles away, cost them probably the same $54, $55 to get to church. And that church is 25 miles from both of their houses. But for them to get to each other to do a midweek thing, you know, a small group, whatever, they're five, six miles apart, it's going to cost somebody about 30 bucks to get to be where the other people are or to get to a central meeting place because of the way the rail system is structured. And so for 20, 25 years, churches in Japan have been doing small groups on Skype. When Skype threw out video and it wasn't free, it was free, they just went for it and they've made it work. They're, they're leading the way. That may be the way into our future. And so this thing, as bad as it is, and it is horrible, may end up having a silver lining to it. It may end up that Romans 8.28 is actually true, that God turns around and makes something good come out of all this terrible time. Well, I've ranted. Hope I haven't put you off. Hope you'll be back with me next week. So here's an interesting little postscript to what we just talked about. I made the recording about 5.36 o'clock on Thursday night, uh, the 19th of March. And here we are about three hours later, and the governor of California just locked down the whole state. Everyone uh, is supposed to cease businesses except for essential businesses that we need to you know, stay alive, pharmacies, doctor's offices, grocery stores, gas stations, all that's going to be open. But I'm glad he did it. And I know he's going to take a lot of heat. He's not my favorite governor. You know what? Even the governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is telling everybody to stay home. He did a really funny video that was on, you know, social media. So I think this is wise. I think that we need to really play ball with the government here and we need to stay in and we can shorten the duration of this thing. And I hope that uh, you're praying for your country. hope you're praying for your leaders. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at Ralph Moore dot net.